Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like the show, please share it with someone. Please rate, review, subscribe, smash that subscribe button. We would really appreciate it if you did. Big show planned for you guys today. And our guest on the show will be Drake Hills from the Tennessean covering the Nashville SC beat. Uh, obviously, he came in last year during a pandemic. So a lot of intrigue when your first year in a new market with an expansion team is during a pandemic. Uh, so we'll talk with him about a lot of different stuff. He's a great storyteller and has a lot of insight into uh, what, why covering soccer is sort of different than covering other sports. So really interesting conversation. I think you guys are really going to enjoy that. We will give away our gift card, our $100 gift card to Four Top Hospitality, which is all the great restaurants in town, Amerigo, Jasper's, um, you got Etch, et cetera, Char, you know, just all these great places. Uh, we will give that away. Our talk about competition. We will give away that $100 gift card after our interview with Drake Hill. So check that out back on the uh, back end there with ratings and recommendations, of course, coming up as well but first the big but news, first it, the big news in the market which we have to address of course is that midday 180 jonathan hutton paul kaharski and chad withrow uh removed themselves from the airwaves and uh, have signed with uh clay travis and outkick to do and and move on to the over the top platform the ott platform for outkick uh that will begin sort of in the middle of march i guess so um steve first of all your thoughts when they actually did break with 104.5 the zone a couple things that come to mind here. First of all, it's not a great time to be in radio. Terrestrial radio has gotten kicked in the teeth for a year now. Uh, and the, the the ratings on everybody, even, even the higher rated shows are down because of the pandemic and fewer people are in their cars. And so I, I think long-term terrestrial radio is going to have issues. Also, I think it's a good opportunity for them. I mean, Clay Travis's platform, no matter what you think of it, is enormous. And for, for those guys getting a chance to, to tap into a, a much bigger audience is a great opportunity for them. And, you know, I'll be interested to see kind of where the show goes. Uh, it's a Nashville show in, in, on a national platform. And so it's going to have to evolve somehow. You know, are they going to do more national stuff? Are they going to try to, you know, just that, that pure Nashville focus? You know, how are they going to do it? Are they going to talk? They're going to talk more baseball. They're going to talk more whatever it takes to, to be on a national platform. I'm interested in the evolution. They haven't said much about it. They're going to talk about it, I guess, in, you know, in a month or so, month and a half or so uh, when, they, when, they, when they migrate over there. I'm looking forward to it. It certainly came as a shock. Uh, I, I listen, I'll, I'll be fully transparent here because obviously we have relationships with all of those guys and you know, nine great years of doing a show together is an extraordinary run. They did a, a fantastic show. I don't really expect it to change a ton. Uh, again, just speaking of my, my own sort of guessing here, I, I just think you, you transition to digital that brings in a video element. Potentially you, you're going to continue to do your show because your audience cares about what you've been doing for a decade. I don't think you need to reinvent the wheel here. If I was in charge, um, it, it, I think it certainly allows them some more freedom and some more elbow room because you're, you're no longer governed by FCC bodies or corporate bosses or any of the things that, that sort of govern that situation. I'm sure it was a bittersweet decision, but probably a pretty easy one for them if I had to guess. And so moving on to, I, I don't think pe people are like, Oh, where are they going? They're not going anywhere, folks. Like they're, they're, they're going to, they're going to be creating content. It, it probably gives them the freedom to choose what time of day they want to create the content, how they want to deliver that content to people. It is, you know, the freedom to, to make all those decisions and have control over all those things is probably way too attractive than st sitting around on, on a local terrestrial radio show. So it, it, good, good for them. And, excited to see what they bring to the table but they're not they're not leaving the market folks they're not like they're not gonna they're not gonna exclusively talk about like golden state warriors basketball every day like that's not <laughs> that would make no sense to me in my opinion i, I also think that there's uh, radio shows and radio personalities and we've talked about this before you know kind of hired to be fired hired to to have a certain shelf life there is there's a certain sort of you know general manager coach player dynamic that goes on at radio stations and you know they've got a new program director at 104.5 i don't have any insight there i haven't talked to them so i don't know if they did or didn't like the new management but it would be it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world for 
those shows to all change over. The new the new program director at 104.5 has already changed over some of some of them when he when he changed out the wake up zone uh, staff earlier this year, and then and then they've they've shuffled their lineup a couple of different ways. Yeah, I'm having and, fun this week actually. Yeah, I mean you're filling in over there, <laughs> ten to twelve uh, on uh, on on middays. So there was nothing to talk about this week though, Steve. So we didn't have we haven't had any fun yet. It's a, it's a good thing the University of Tennessee is uh, is a boring thing to cover. So well, they they may actually be organizing themselves. Um, so a, a, again, I I think it's exciting uh, to your point about the coaches. You, you kind of get get hired to get fired. The fact that they were able to walk away on their own at their own time, so r- roughly speaking, um, it is a pretty impressive thing to do. Just I'm just... always I'm always fascinated by this in radio, and, and maybe you can speak to this. The the, the endings in radio are abrupt like scratch like needles scratch on a record abrupt it's all of a sudden the show's over and it's like hey we're gone you know hey somebody that i've tuned into every day for the last five years is not there the next morning why do you think why do you think it is so abrupt is it is it the <laughs> station time we don't have enough time on the show <laughs> are, are stations just that afraid of something indiscreet being said by someone who is who doesn't have a job there anymore I think that's probably a big part of it. You can't give airtime to somebody that's no longer working for the company, like a two week notice kind of thing, you know, like that doesn't airwaves can be, you know, you could, if you go on the air and if you wanted to be, a, you know, pretty awful about it, you could go on the air the next morning. Like if I, again, I was fired. So if I was not, not with any reason, I don't have any idea what happened with, with these guys, but you know, if we were told immediately after the show that, that was the last show we were going to do. Like they can't, they can't fire you and then have you come back and host the morning show the next day. Like you're going right. to, you know, you're, you're just setting yourself up for a, a conflict of, of interest in, in, from a content standpoint. So it's, it's just like being a coach. I, th- I think the industry is just very similar to, to being coaches. You, 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 you start a show because you know, shows are going to end sometime and you enjoy the ride while you can. And that's all you can do. And they get to now enjoy a different ride in their own way with a lot more control. And I don't, I, you know, there will be an evolution, but I don't think it's going to change all that much if I had to guess. Um, yeah. I don't think I, they're going to be getting show notes from clay. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, right. There's no, there's no air checks going on. They're, they're pretty good at what they do. So yeah. it will be fun to see what happens. And uh, we, of course, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk to Chad Withrow, uh, hopefully whenever we've efforted that and whenever they are allowed to, he will come on and explain all of this in greater detail, uh, hopefully. So, all right. You want to move on here and, and, and get to Drake. Let's get to Drake. All right, Good guy. so ratings and recs coming up after the interview. We'll give away our gift card as well. All right, we're going to talk with Drake Hills from the Tennessee and today on the show. And Steve, just a, a guy that was thrown into a very unique situation. Cover this brand new franchise in this brand new sport on this brand new beat in this brand new city that you're just moving to. And oh, by the way, there's going to be a, a global pandemic at the same time. He had an interesting first year on the beat for Nashville SC, that's for sure. Yeah, nothing like fundamentally changing how you do your job barely into your job um you know drake came in uh, drake came in as the first uh mls beat writer for the tennessean uh i think he did a, i think he did a really good job with it this year broke a little bit of news uh wrote some good features i i, I think he's a, i think he's a solid beat reporter he's a he's a good young talent i'm glad he's there covering what i think is potentially a really growing beat for the paper it should be very, very interesting because I, I do think what I appreciate, and I think one of the things you should listen to from him is just how he views his role as a storyteller and how that can connect with fans, with readers, with players, with the club. It's sort of all, it's, there's this big matrix that's all working together. And I think, you know, I think he sees that in the right way. And, and I find his perspective to be interesting on that. All right. So with all that being said, without further ado, this was our conversation with the Tennesseans, Drake Hills. Drake, first of all, thank you for giving us a few minutes of your time here on Lamestream. We do appreciate it. And before we get into your move to Nashville and, you know, your experiences here so far, uh, let's just start with the soccer beat in general and just sort of what drew you to that. I, I find it to be very unique, which I realize is redundant after saying it, but what, what was sort of the allure of, of the soccer beat for you when you first got started in, in journalism? Well, it's about my identity, first and foremost, I would say. I mean, coming as, you know, a young guy who's, you know, still under 25 and, you know, coming in a generation where we were the ones who 
pretty much propelled soccer as far as U.S. soccer is concerned to the next level at the national stage with MLS, with college soccer, with young players moving on to Europe. So guys who were born in the 90s, you know, that, that's, that's the generation that you know, brought soccer, not just from this little country club, uh, suburban soccer mom, soccer van type of ordeal to becoming a sport that pulls from, you know, the fashion and the swag and the, the media and the popularity and the celebrity that comes along with some other sports. So, and on top of that, I'm also uh, a very, probably one of the few uh, black men or women covering the game. And so my identity as a black man, my identity as a, as a young man, um, compiling that into my innate and pretty much lifelong passion for soccer led me to tell stories that are combining all of them. So I love being able to break down these barriers in the game that the NBA and the NFL do not have anymore uh, about what it's like uh, being a soccer player, what it's like being a pro in American soccer, what it's like living and exuding black culture in a sport where it's hardly found or scarcely found. And if you do find it, it's not in bulk, right? It's uh, maybe a player here, a player there. Uh, but also what I think is cool is diaspora. And when we talk about blackness, what often doesn't come up is diaspora. We like to confine it. When I say we Americans like to confine it to black Americans. And in the sport of soccer, that is not the case. It cannot be stopped because you have players coming from Honduras. Uh, many of them are black, uh, many from Panama, many from Western Africa, many from France, England, obviously the Caribbean and Jamaica. And so, and even South America, uh, players from Peru, players from Brazil. And all of those different players come with different styles and different tastes, but it's all rooted in blackness. And telling those stories, especially uh, getting to know these guys and introducing these players and coaches to the world and to the soccer world, I think that is my biggest cake, if you will, <laughs> and my, my biggest treat in terms of covering soccer and being a part of the soccer media landscape. So you come to Nashville to work for the Tennessean, you get a, a beat gig on a major sport, and then the pandemic hits. Right. <laughs> so how did you, how did you walk into the season saying, I'm going to approach this gig this way? And then a month into it, you know, games are canceled. It's on hold until a July tournament. And then the startup back, it, it probably altered how you thought you were going to cover the team. What, what, what did you think going in and, and how did that change? It was complete. First and foremost, I do not recommend, uh, if you can control it, I do not recommend coming in to a pandemic season. I don't care what sport you cover. Uh, okay. Uh, but it's as far as Nashville SC and Major League Soccer, especially, you know, as you mentioned, a new beat, a new market. You have the supporters coming in from USL and uh, NPSL, right? Uh, for the past, what, six or seven years prior to coming in to Major League Soccer. But my responsibility when I walked in the door day one was to garner buzz for general sports fans in Middle Tennessee and really statewide. And so that was my goal, regardless of my own agenda. And so I had ideas of this series of introductions of players who are national team level guys like Walker Zimmerman, who obviously came in shortly before the season started, Dan Lovitz and, and, and these guys who have been with the U.S soccer federation and at national teams and playing in uh, against Mexico and other top teams that are that are more renowned in the world. But my agenda personally was to show not just Nashville and not just Tennessee, but the country that I can get to know and be able to relate to guys in a different way that other writers could not uh, because of my background, because of my taste in whether it be music, whether it be uh, fashion, whether it be things that do not relate to actually playing the game, wanting to level with guys off the field so that they feel that it's not just about how many goals they scored last season. So if I'm, and you talked about uh, 
my plans before the pandemic hit. You know, my targets and, and my interests were lying in Hani Mukhtar, the first designated player, the first real big name player that Nashville C signed in its first Major League Soccer season. And when I went down to Tampa in preseason, that was February 2020, I was down there at a, 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 a not too far actually from from where the Yankees play their spring training and obviously where the Tom Brady Bucks uh, play their home games. It was down Mon- Mons Venus too? Mons <laughs> Venus right there? Yeah, a little bit. Not not too far. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so we were at a hotel probably about two minutes away from both of those stadiums. And, you know, that's where they set up shop. Uh, Nashville SC did. And I was down in the lobby, you know, talking with Hani Mukhtar, just talking about um, his father, talking about his mother. Um, he, obviously, his, his father's... Uh, um, driving from Sudan and his mother is German and talking about, you know, his interest in, you know, fashion, obviously, you know, he's a guy who is relatively young and he's got interest in, in that. And he's got interest in traveling. And obviously he's very curious about Nashville still probably is very curious about Nashville. And so we began this, this, this leveling up of conversation, uh, not just for the sake of, of, you know, on the record, you know, quotes, but really just getting a chance to get to know each other. And that was building as we move forward with the season. Um, and he would, you know, I would try to say hi and how are you in German? Uh, Cause I took German in college. And so I, he motivated me to kind of brush up, brush up my uh, foreign languages. But I think that was going to lead to a full fledged profile of like, who is this guy who made his professional debut against Bayern Munich, one of the biggest super clubs in the world, uh, just, you know, three, four years ago. And then he gets to you know, Salzburg and in, in Austria. Then he goes and, and tries to you know figure things out uh, there. It turns out that his next move after leaving Hertha Berlin, which is the club he started his professional career at in Germany, uh, he ends up making a loan move to IF Bronby, and Denmark, and he ends up staying there. And so I was going to write this story about this guy who started at one of the biggest clubs in Germany, obviously competing against some of the best teams in Europe. Then he, you know, finds himself in Denmark and, you know, just trying to bounce back. Maybe is he, is he trying to get back to Germany? Is he trying to make a move to Spain or England? And then he finds himself in America, not having any experience, not, not knowing anything about, you know, what's going on. And as soon as they play their first home game and they go on the road, I'm sitting here at my birthday dinner on March 11th. So that, that's when my birthday is. And of course, oh, that, congratulations. Was, that was, uh, that was my, that was my last uh, real life experience in norm, in normalcy was my birthday. Um, uh, it was across the street from frothy, frothy monkey. We'll get to that restaurant later because that place is awesome. Uh, it's in 12 South. They'll come to me. But anyway, urban, uh, urban grub, or? urban grub. There it is. Urban grub. So I was at urban grub and all of a sudden no free see, shouts, no, yeah, free no shouts. free shouts. But I see, you know, Mark Cuban and I see the Dallas Mavericks, everybody on ESPN, you know, like what is going on? Boom. NBA stops. The next morning, MLS announces that the pandemic has forced them to suspend this is the season. And, you know, here we go from March 12th to pretty much August 12th, I believe. Um, there's no season for Nashville C. Now, of course, uh, in that time, so I had to figure out, okay, I cannot sit here and have sit downs with Hani Mukhtar anymore. I cannot try and get to know Jaleel Alibaba, who is a defender and obviously uh, well involved with the Black Players for Change and, and is now an executive board member with the MLS Players Association. Uh, but now I have to figure out how to build a rapport with guys over Zoom calls and over the phone. And so that was that was the, my biggest struggle of 2020 is not being able to do that because and, and when and when you're and when you're in that environment that 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 window gets restricted exactly that by whether it's Zoom call whether sometimes it's calls that are set up by the team because they don't they don't want you having one on one access to players they they want it through they want it through their filter or they want it through through their uh, control. Mm-hmm. And so you're not at practice. You're not at, exactly. you're, not, you're not in the locker room after the game. Exactly. Can you, can you get a relationship with anybody now? Not really. Uh, I, I, I can get, 
I can get away with uh, hopefully, you know, building a rapport with some of the guys like Alistair Johnston or, or Jack Mayer or some of the guys who I've been able to talk with frequently over the phone. And I have been able to have conversations, um, you know, one-on-one, but as you mentioned, obviously there is someone else there. And so there, there becomes this rigid professional freeway that I'm driving on and I can't veer left, I can't veer right and try to show a little bit more of myself because, you know, I'm on a phone call. He, he cannot see my facial expressions. He cannot see my body language. He cannot understand fully the message that I'm conveying to him. And therefore he cannot do the same in return. And so there becomes this, uh, I guess, average benefit from getting a chance to fully introduce guys and write feature stories, getting a chance to tell stories about these guys during a pandemic season. And so I wasn't able to actually get to know the players the way I wanted to. And hopefully my goal was to be comfortable with these guys at training, at the facilities, being able to, you know, say, Hey, here's my number. Um, And they say, Hey, here's my number. Um, Because, you know, that's what it's all about. And that was, I think, you know, unlike any other market, that was my biggest detriment here in Nashville as compared to other teams who probably had a little more rapport with their reporters. Uh, but obviously in Nashville, that wasn't the case. It's interesting. I, I'm a big believer that, and, and this is going to sound really crazy, folks, but that having conversations is still the most effective form of communication. I know that's crazy in the email, text, scroll world that we live in, but it sounds like you're willing to go even further in saying that in-person conversations, which is what we are sort of a big believer here on this platform. I'm a big believer on radio shows, hosts being in the studio together because yeah. that, that creates a conversation. Absolutely. Um, it raises an interesting question. And I, I think about this often. I don't know why I'm a nerd, I guess. I, I, we are transforming into this digital world that's already happened. And now we're trying to learn our way through it as a society. Is there going to be a pushback because I, I hope there is, I think there is on an analog communication, like that there, there will eventually be, I don't know if it's going to be like Greenwich Village, where we're all sitting around like in the <laughs> 60s, you know, trying to figure out philosophy of life. But I, I do think there's going to be an analog pushback in some way, shape or form, especially when we're allowed to come back out into the world. Do, do you believe that, that that force is strong enough to create that new dynamic in sort of our sports conversation? Well, it's going to take both sides because the the problem during this past year and you just think of just sports media in general is that we've all settled for this same trend of stories where we're like you know if we had the first phase where we're talking about let's introduce what guys are really doing what they like when you know they don't have anything else to do so let's all tell the story of what they're doing during the pandemic and then we're going to talk about how they're handling you know playing their sport in the pandemic. And then we're gonna learn about how hard is it to win and be successful and do your job in a pandemic. And then we're gonna talk about how 2020 was terrible and 2021 is gonna be better. Um, we were confined to these chapters and these sectors of, of telling our stories and being able to have conversations. And that's what you are given if you do not have the rapport prior to the pandemic hitting. And so I really hope so that there's going to be a pushback. I hope that there's going to be a risen standard and that this is not going to become a habit moving forward as far as this, uh, this Zoom call, phone call conveniency, because it's not going to propel us storytellers and it's not going to propel those who are building brands on the other side, whether it be athletes, whether it be coaches, whether it be teams, it's not going to break the barrier of acquaintancy it's just going to stay the same and it's it's just going to be the same pace for the next year and the year after that and the year after that and i'm certainly going to be the one that's going to push forward and say hey if i and many who are like me get the chance to just simply sit at a table and just chat with guys or girls uh whatever whatever game or sport it is we're going to fit in and we're going to be able to build a rapport with guys and we're going to be able to share the stories that matter to the community to get them to want to reach out and be more supportive of this team or of this coach or of this player. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that teams, schools, clubs, I'm, I think it's very rare that, that they understand how much the 
non-controlled story is worth to their to their brand i mean to straight to that steve i mean <laughs> look you're trying to get people who have never seen your sport live in person before who have never even played fifa before who have never even bought a soccer jersey before to come to your game and it's not that they don't have interest in the sport it's that if you're not targeting them specifically, if you're not knocking on their door, then they're not going to come because it's not designated and, and aimed at them. And when you're talking about marketing or journalism, when you have something that's sent to their doorstep, they will, you know, their ears will open, their eyes will open. And that's the difference between, you know, you sending a press release and having national guys write stories versus the guy on the ground who's been on the day-to-day -day grind writing this story. Because, you know, I and anyone else who are based in Nashville covering this team are going to have a reach that's bigger than any 1,000, 100,000 following, you know, sports writer based in New York or Chicago. Because, that, because this is who we are day-to-day, -day and we know the guys who are watching this team, who watch the Preds, who watch the Titans. And for me... If I send a story and it's a breaking story about a guy who's, you know, who signed a new contract and I break that story, that's going to go to everywhere in Middle Tennessee. That's going to build the buzz in Middle Tennessee. That's going to build the buzz in the state that, you know, you know, leaking it to other, you know, national, um, you know, companies. They're, they're not, you know, in, in outlets, they're not going to have the same rapport. And so it just it still doesn't make sense. But that's clearly the, the thought process on the other end. And I think I, I think there's a there's a piece of this that that they don't understand that they are limited by the imagination of whoever's in charge of that funnel, and they're limited by the 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 imagination of what that person can conceive of as a story, as a feature, as a profile, as as some way of humanizing the team that if it's thrown open to a larger media, and yes, I'm making a pitch for all media to have more access <laughs> to that, that they, that they will inevitably find something which is much more interesting than whatever could come out of that controlled, that controlled funnel. And readers aren't foolish. They're not elementary. Like they understand and they can read between the lines and tell the difference. They can differentiate what is being controlled by their employer and what's being told and shared by an independent storyteller, regardless of the medium. And they respect that. And those who are true sports fans and get a kick out of, you know, really getting to know guys, they're gonna, they're gonna find that that independent storyteller and say, yeah, I appreciate that because now I know something that wouldn't have come out. That isn't harmless. It's not something that's completely negative. It's real. And they respect real. They're gonna recognize real. You know the saying, real recognizes real. They're not gonna recognize corporate. And they're never going to recognize Corbett. It doesn't matter what era it is. It doesn't matter what sport it is. And even in Major League Soccer, something as, as new as soccer in the, in the city of Nashville, they're still looking through a sports lens. And they obviously have experience of what real storytelling looks like because they've seen the Preds, they've seen the Titans. Well, and it's, it's fascinating. Like, there's space for all of it. Like, you can have an official reporter from a team writing official team stories and controlling information and press conference information and disseminating that and also have the independent storytelling, like, and, yeah. and have a fan want both of those things. Like, yeah. fans can, can want both of those things, and they can want somebody yelling and screaming about the team, too, like on the yeah. radio. Like, you can want all of it and consume all of it. And I agree with you. Two, two really interesting points here that, that I think we can we can work on. Number one, I think if you treat your readers and your audience like they are morons, then the content will get dumber because they're not. They're, 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 people are so much smarter. If you just treat them that way, mm. they will respond in kind, I believe. And, and I think the word we're getting at here with teams and the NFL does this better than anybody because they can. And that is irreverence. Like, I think it's good for corporations. I think it's good for individuals. I think it's good for reporters you have to have an irreverence to sort of your own existence, be self-deprecating a little bit and just be willing to acknowledge that we are all complicated. There's good and bad. And I think teams get so scared of their own shadow sometimes. And it's, it's paranoia. I, I'm, I'm not going to you know name drop, but I'm, I, I had constant 
conversations with some of the national reporters that cover soccer. And he told me straight up, he said, listen, what you're going to learn from this team and from any other team that you cover in this league is that these guys are paranoid. Period. You know, they're paranoid. They, they think that something is going to leak that is going to be detrimental to their brand and that's going to be detrimental to their roster build and that's going to be detrimental to their personality and how they fit in the market. Um, and, and, as you're, and to your point, there is space for each writer or, or whether it's he or she to have a brand themselves and to say, hey, this is what I'm good at. And I'm going to find every single supporter and every single general sports fan that is interested in getting to know the quirks and ins and outs of GAM, you know, general allocation money, targeted allocation money, MLS international roster slots. And, you know, I think you've uh, already got all the guys who are, who are like really into allocation. Yeah. yeah. Like you, <laughs> you, all five you, of them. you, you, you have, I'm, I'm with you on Twitter. Let's go. <laughs> you, you have like, you have that sector, but you also have people who don't, care like they don't give a you know what about the, all of that they just want to know who this guy is who is this player that keeps scoring goals or who are this player that is supposed to be the best player on the team you know who is this guy who keeps using his head all the time <laughs> yeah <laughs> like who keeps getting who's the guy who's this tough guy that's always getting the yellow cards i want to know what's his story about like is this you know i mean they there is taste for everyone and there's a sector from everyone and it just doesn't make sense because you see that on other beats where you know take a look at the preds one guy is you know talking about the analytics and getting a chance to do the real hockey you know the insider stuff. And then another guy is just telling stories about who the guys are. And it works because the beat is being covered completely. But even in that moment though, I will say it's, it's not just a soccer problem. College football is probably the worst of all of them. They are the most paralyzed and the, and the least transparent. The Preds have had tony they have, they have tons of, of, of limitations on trying to keep content the way it is. Surely. Again, again, the NFL is like the only one to me that just says, we don't care, write whatever you want. Talk to whoever you want. Do whatever you want. And that's because the NFL is the most secure in who they right. are. They right. do not give a fuck. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they don't they, care. They, they understand that one story is not going to kill them. Yeah. All right, let's get let's let's get off bashing teams for not allowing us to cover them. Let's let's move on from that for a second. So, <laughs> so the there's a really interesting thing coming up here uh, in, in kind of like how you cover the league and the, and teams and players. As, as we're taping this, we're about a week away from a drop dead deadline of, uh, of a potential labor stoppage in MLS. How, and that's a, and that's a weird thing because it's a national story, but it has local implications. How do you go about trying to cover that? How do you go about trying to, to get the national pieces of that to make it sense, make sense for your audience? And, and can you break anything in this kind of environment? Well, I certainly will say that this has different uh, has a different tune to it than last year, because obviously last year there was an extension or two extensions rather um, for the CBA negotiations. And that was a proper CBA negotiation year. It was supposed to expire last year. And they ended up obviously finalizing an agreement, which they never ratified. And that's how we find our, our way here in MLS. Um, and they obviously uh, included a force majeure clause, which we have found out. Um, so this year is different because it's not supposed to happen, uh, obviously based off the pandemic. And on top of that, you have two sides that are trying to use the pandemic as this uh, excuse to get their way. And you know, one side, it's, it's quite logical. And the other side, you can't really trust them. And it's, it's quite confusing because Nashua C is no longer the expansion team. So you don't have that to go off of. You don't have this, oh, well, it's, it's this thing that's going to absolutely kill the inaugural season of Nashua C. That's no longer the case. Nashua C is established having do what they did, done what they did in the playoffs last year. So this is different because it's just like a waiting game. You got players in national team camps, you know, and the next thing you know, by the time we have a season, those players are probably not going to be there for a second time because, you know, your t- your best players are going to be playing for the U.S. national team. They're going to be playing for Canada because it's Olympic qualifiers. It's World Cup qualifiers. So um, 
I don't necessarily see a lot of local, like national to local stores, but I do see possibly with my connections on uh, the league side and, and, and the MLSPA side that it could be more of a national story that talks about how Nashville see alongside their fellow competitors in MLS are affected. Uh, but I don't necessarily foresee, uh, you know, what this is going to do for Gary Smith and how he's going to, you know, set up preseason for this year, because a lot of that is out of his hands, right? Uh, because of a potential lockout, but there is a lot of what could get very messy is a lot of feeding uh, to guys like me on what each side is wanting to get out of the other. Yes. Do you have a sense from ownership here in town what where they fall on the spectrum, and and are they are they do you think they're engaged in this or or are they just kind of are they passengers? Well, on every every owner is engaged. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that because why? Because there's money involved, and when you've got an expansion fee that's still trying to get you know ironed out, right? You're putting hundreds of millions of dollars to simply get into the league. He's got a stadium that's still on still on time you've got about a year and what four months uh before that for that bad boy comes up so you've got things on the books that are that are you know due in process you've got things that are that are on your mind um and so as far as negotiations are concerned there's certainly going to be um involvement but the reason why i say it's going to probably be a bit messy if this doesn't you know, wrap up soon is because then you're talking about another truncated season. You're talking about another compressed season, which means, you know, hopefully for both sides, they want fans in the stands because the majority of major league soccer club revenue comes from ticket sales. It's not like the NBA and the NFL where corporate sponsorships are king, you know? So the more and the more fans that they can get into the stands, the better and the quicker, the better. So those things come into play. Let, let's transition a little bit here to, I find it fascinating. And again, I, you talked earlier, Drake, about sort of the generation that is pushing soccer. And there's no question about that. I think there's a couple of other generations, maybe the one right, right before you, mine, for example, that fell in love with soccer, especially because of the World Cup coming in the early 90s. And sort of when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, falling in love with the game and learning the game and now having it here in the city. What I do find as... A broadcaster though and as people in the media that there's a far different way to talk about the sport it just in even even tony husband's language on the broadcast there's an elegance to it you said there's sort of a swagger to it there's fashion involved certainly the nba has a ton of that sort of yeah. interwoven into the culture of the product in the game obviously the you know the diversity is incredibly interesting to to me but there is this People just use different language when talking about the game itself. And, and I find it fascinating. I, I wonder, you talked about trying to draw out uh, appeal in the market in Nashville, a general attractiveness to this product and, and sort of tell some stories. Do you find yourself having to change language, you, you know, moderate what you're doing to try to appeal to people? Because again, I, I love the elegance of the language and how yeah. people talk about the game and, and even just the motions on the field. But I don't, to your point, I don't know if the person that's never watched the soccer match. Idealistically and linguistically, American sports is nationalistic. They are nationalists. They care about America with a big fist pump in there. You know, <laughs> doesn't, it, it doesn't matter what it's NHL, NBA, uh, NFL. It doesn't matter. They want America in there. Soccer is, does not care. Okay. Soccer is beyond that. It's above me is, is what, is what, you know, the, the mains, what the kids say nowadays. Um, because when you talk about, you know, weird, whether it's writing about the game, whether it's calling a game on a broadcast game is set in this high standard of, you know, professional jargon. And, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of years of technique and history and, like official language that goes along with the game that makes it respectable. It's like you're as when you're speaking about it, when you're articulating what's going on in the game, you are, you are, you're, it's like this respect that's coming up in you that you have this, this prestige and this history that goes along with everything that you're saying. And it's, I hate to say, but it's like a gentleman's setup. And part of that is historically, right? I mean, the game was, 
built off of, you know, especially in the London area when, when the game was really popping off in the you know, late 19th century, it was a gentleman's sport. So everything about the, the game has been propelled forward in an official state. It's not the grueling backyard sport that baseball had gone through in, you know, in the early 1900s. It wasn't how, and, you know, basketball has gone through. It was this, everything was official. Everything was done official. And that attitude has carried itself over generations. And then on top of that, you're including so much as, as far as, you know, worldviews and, and different folks who are viewing and consuming the sport at, at each level and in, in every league. So you have to have this international uh, speech to it and have to have this international attitude to it so that everyone can come to one understanding as to what's going on. And I think that's, that's what's happening. And the clash though, as you mentioned, is going from this, you know, choosing the word shutout versus clean sheet or, you know, saying he's got a booking or as opposed to saying he's been shown a, or he's been given a, a yellow card or calling a guy who earned a international cap, calling it an appearance. Uh, th those things, they, that, gets, that gets on my nerves because that's simply America just trying to be a bunch of nationalists. Um, and every other country, you don't have that problem, even though you go to South America, you go to Asia, you go to Africa. They don't have that problem. They didn't, they didn't create the game, yet they still agree to the principles and the language that comes along with it. America's the only country that decides, nope, nah, we're not doing that. Now nah, I don't I don't care what that sport says, we're not doing it. And just and just having their, you know, sticking their shoulders out and sticking their their chest out and, and just re rebuking essentially uh what comes along with the game. So you have to have that teeter. And you have to be at the middle of it. If you want some optimism, Preds fans had this problem too 20 years ago, and now they don't. So just so you know, they they have learned. They, they, goes they, to they, well, they can be taught. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure if I'm willing to be uh, 20 years patient with uh, folks. <laughs> and, 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 and you know what? And you know what? It's not soccer fans. It's, it's, it's sports fans who are obviously being introduced to the game. Yeah. Um, and so that's the key because soccer fans and specifically Nashville SC fans – They've been around the game and, and, and even fans uh, of soccer who weren't Nashville SC fans, but they were obviously, you know, they played the game or they were lovers of the game and they came to like Nashville SC when it came to the market. They accepted it uh, because they understand the pillars of the game. They're much larger and they stretch beyond American borders. So you began this conversation talking about sort of your own personal identity and we all are a million different identities wrapped into one. So how do you view how the MLS handled all of the injustice of the summer through all of the different lenses that you have in your life as a reporter, as a black man, as a young person? Like you, you have a lot of different lenses. How do you feel they did this summer? I, actually, I talked with uh, Grant Wall about this, who's uh, obviously a prominent uh, soccer writer and a soccer journalist uh, here in America and is known throughout the world for his storytelling over the you know several decades, right? In the past, you know, really MLS's uh, lifetime. And he talked about obviously the summer and fall rush of you know, potential black American head coaches and managers in MLS. There, there's not been a American black coach. There has been Patrick Vieira, Thierry Henry, right, and other guys who are of French, Jamaican, and other, you know, international uh, descent, right? So there still has yet to be a Black American coach because Atlanta United, you know, they hired a Latin coach and, and so did DC United. Those are two teams who arguably have the strongest Black culture as far as their market is concerned in the country. And the, some of DMV the, area, the DMV area is arguably one of the, the most historical campground for black soccer success and black soccer uh, uh, culture in the country. And obviously since 2017, we've seen Atlanta United go from a team that was, you know, deriving from the Atlanta Silverbacks and all these lower league teams to having Lil John and Big Boy and Waka Flocka come to their games and then on top of that, you're having black supporters, you're having, uh, you know, a fashion boom, 
you know, uh, their jersey was selling crazy. They were outselling the Atlanta Falcons. They were marketing in Fulton County. They were targeting black people and black people came to their sport. Yet both of those two teams have yet and, and did not hire a black coach. So those statements, Braden, that were happening in the summer, they're all interchangeable. They're all general and they're not necessarily uh, they don't resonate with me. They just fly over my head because they're all about words and clearly they copied each other and they don't actually mean what they say, because if they did, there'd probably be a black coach right now. And there'd probably be a lot of more activity and support for the black players for change. How much, how much of that is not having a bench though? I mean, MLS and the U S hasn't developed a, a lot of black players. So is the problem that is the problem that MLS and, and the U S haven't, really developed a bench. I mean, there's not, there's not a huge pool of black players to pull from here into the coaching ranks. Uh, I would argue against that because since, you know, the eighties. So before even MLS was even born, there were top candidates and we've seen guys come in guys like Ernie Stewart, who was one of the better. And he was a U.S. First of all, he was on the national team. Second of all, um, he's gone through American soccer and he's gone into coaching. He's gone into being a general manager. He's gone into being at the front office. And obviously now he's, he's, he's moved out of his, his role at um, with uh, the Philadelphia union. He's, he's with us soccer now and over in doing stuff with their national team. So there there's guys like Desmond Armstrong, Jimmy Banks, Ogushian Yehu, Tim Howard, who's getting his experience now as as someone who's overseeing Memphis 901, you've got Demarcus Beasley, right? Who's one of the arguably the best, if not the best, fullbacks um, to come in to come out of U.S. soccer. He's owned U.S. U.S. soccer. He's owned MLS. He's played in Europe. Came back from Europe. Played again in MLS, and now he's overseeing a USL club in Fort Wayne, his hometown in Indiana. And there's other guys as well. I mean, uh, you know, whether it be you know younger guys like Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney. There have always been black players like they've, they've always been there and they've always been guys who eventually move on to coaching, whether it be collegiately, whether it be professionally, whether it be at USL, MLS, whether they go and become agents or be, they, they've all, they're staying in the game. It's all about opportunity. Guys are not going to knock on a door. They know it's not going to open. So there, there's a little bit of bias there as far as, you know, oh, there's not enough candidates They're They're there. But you need to tell them like, hey, we want to give you an opportunity if you're willing to take it. Guys are not just going to show up knowing that you're going to overlook them and go for the same American, you know, white American coach or go and find somebody from South America that you think is going to technically propel your players forward. I mean, the guys are, you know, Dante Washington being another one who, you know, played in the 2000s. Um, Kobe Jones, like these guys are around. <laughs> it's just so that the opportunity obviously is not there. And if anyone who wants to debate that, go and find SCORE, which is a recently founded program. Um, it's based off of opportunity for Black coaches and Black front office officials. Um, so if you go and, and search that, just search SCORE soccer uh, in, in Google and you'll find them. And it's built with Kobe Jones, uh, Kim Crabb, who was one of the first, actually the first uh, Black woman to be included and invited to a U.S. women's national team camp. Um, you know, they're full of just amazing, you know, talented people that have gone through MLS, that have gone through the professional women's soccer ranks, that have gone through U.S. soccer, both on the men's and women's side, and have been trailblazers in their own right because of the, the color of their skin. So there's always been talent. It's the fact that yeah. U.S. soccer and more specifically MLS continues to talk and just they don't have the shoes to walk sound it sounds a lot like when we were talking with mo Patton, steve um wh why why now are we choosing to talk about race in this country and i think it's trendy i think well i think maurice Patton's answer was well we've been talking about it for, for like 80 <laughs> years you're just now listening and i think that's yeah. it sounds a lot like that so. but but also i would argue that folks and when i and i shouldn't say folks i would argue that you know mainstream media are wanting to put out these stories saying hey Black cultures are being considered, black cultures are being considered and getting all these page views, yet, you know, the clubs are not, they're not going, they're not taking a step forward after that. The word considered is no longer good enough. Speaking of media, one of the problems 
and certainly this is true in soccer media, but it's true in sports media in general, is that it is unrelentingly white. How do we get more journalists of color into soccer and into and in, into covering soccer and into writing about sports? We've got a long way to go as far as soccer is concerned, because first of all, regardless of what color your skin is, the American newsroom and particularly traditional media, they already scoff at the sport. They've been scoffing at the sport for the past 30 years. Um, and they will continue to scoff at the sport as long as these you know, elderly, you know, white men and some white women decide to stay in their own lane and you know, feel as if they are qualified and perhaps they believe that they're that they have the voice and they have the power and they're privileged enough to keep it narrow-minded so there's they're not going to open soccer beats just out of the woodworks uh, for anyone so why would somebody who's black who wants to write about soccer and what I'm, I'm talking about you know an abundance uh, why would they want and try to, again, knock on a door they know is not going to open for somebody who thinks they know everything about what soccer will do in their market and obviously doesn't know anything. Uh, they don't know what a corner kick is from a goal kick. They couldn't tell you. So sports editors are a bit lacking in this country in that regard because they're not willing to understand what it can do. They're not willing to understand the sport. They're not willing to understand what I wouldn't call it a gold mine, but I will say it's an open, you know, open land of, you know, not enough coverage. It's insufficient coverage because there's not enough writers to go around full time that are covering teams. Um, so as far as garnering more interest in the black community to get more sports writers, that's up to editors and that's up to people who are in hiring positions that want a new perspective. And the biggest slap in the face is, now, we're looking for somebody with more experience. How do you think we're supposed to get more experience? The word equality doesn't work anymore. It's equity. Because equality has been this wishy-washy term that's been used by, by those with power to say, okay, we've, we've, we've given you, you know, what we have and that, that should work. No, because we're behind. <laughs> we've been behind. Equality doesn't work. We need more to make it even. You need to make it even. You need to make opportunity even. And to do that, you need to put black writers at the forefront and say, can you do the job? We need to see if you can do the job. And a lot of them can. But again, the door is not going to open to them. It's just because of, of, of the guys that they know and, and the networking that they don't have. Um, they're not in the circles where there are decision makers surrounding them. They don't have that privilege. They don't grow up with that privilege and regardless of their hard work they still need somebody to to welcome them in to hire them to begin with but they're out there it's it's the same thing with players and coaches and general managers they're out there they just need to be given an opportunity and an equal opportunity and that starts with equity drake man i could talk to you for hours about all this stuff thank you so much for for giving us a few minutes of your time i i love the idea that there is a vacuum of coverage around this product and around this sport and and when we do fill it, it is there are copious, rich, fertile, just unbelievable stories to be told. So uh, from so many different people in so many different places. And I, 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 you know, I think everybody should be looking forward to reading more of your work. So thank you. I appreciate it. And it, it's just uh, it's been awesome to cover Nashville SC. And it, it's come with some interesting experiences. I've covered, you know, guys who are new to MLS, guys who've been in MLS for 15 years. I've covered a brand new team. I've gone and see the team play in, in different markets. I've gotten a chance to get to know guys in the league, guys at the Players Association. And there's a lot of just untapped knowledge as a in regards to soccer in this country. And I think Nashville is in for it good because they have a lot of guys who you know have person personally, and I think even in their careers, will use Nashville as you know where they where they blossom, where they had their big boom. And I think Nashville will, will take kind to that and they'll have somebody to say that that was our guy, you know, and I'm hoping that they can use that for me as well to see that, you know, I'm coming in. Yeah, I've covered soccer in Chicago. I've covered soccer in Phoenix with Arizona Republic. I've covered soccer in other markets. 
but this is where I'm completely all the way in 100% full time and day to day, we're looking for soccer coverage. So if they can support us, then you know, the, the further our coverage will go. So I'm looking forward to that. Thank you, sir. Appreciate Thanks, it. Obviously, special thanks to Drake Hills for joining us today on Lamestream. We do appreciate his time, and uh, I hope a lot of people gain some insight into how to cover a team in your first year with a new expansion franchise on a new beat in a new city during a pandemic. And I know at one point, Steve, in our lives, we will be able to do interviews without having to use the word pandemic at some point. Uh, you, I would like it to be like, like most things, you know, from 2020 forward, I would like to, life to be a little more boring a little more predictable, a little <laughs> more, uh, you know, a, a little more by the numbers. Uh, you know, I would like to not have to spend the amount of time that I spend on Zoom calls these days. <laughs> I'd like to shake somebody's hand in public again. And, 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 but most of all, I would like for, I'd like for beat writing to return to normal. I'd like to, be, you know, I'd like to be able to go to practice sometime. That, that was one of the things that I think really shows in, in if you if you go back through the beat writing in almost every sport this year, sort of it's not just like the lack of access, but it's like the lack of of time spent immersed in the thing that you're covering. And a lot of that happens at practice. A lot of that is stuff that you never ever write about, but you file it away. It, it's it's a little things that you saw. It's you see somebody improving incrementally. Maybe that maybe it's a bench player, but you know, oh, they're they're gonna they're gonna get their shot here at some point soon because they're really showing it in practice. And you don't get a chance to you don't get a chance to do that when you're just writing about you know, kind of like the headline features and and the games. And, and nothing else and what, so what you, what you see on television or, yeah, or whatever exactly it's it's morning skate for the preds morning skate is where you go into the locker room and a player has his guard down and you can build a relationship and talk with them about their family and see how they're doing and that's where you build that rapport you don't do that after the game on tuesday night or whatever like that's not that's not how that works it's it you're right it's pra practice is a big part of this and not being around people just and then one of the things he, he we talked about i, I just I don't know. I haven't got your thoughts on this, but I hope to God we have like an analog pushback, especially coming out of the pandemic where we just want to sit around a bar, listen to a record, drink whiskey with no televisions on, no phones and like just discussing, you know, the, the, the future of our country or what, you know, whatever, like philosophy or art or I don't know. I just I have this vision of us pushing back on the constant Zoom world that's probably going to take over business when this is all said and done. You know, it, it is, and, and and I want I want more than anything else to just have conversations, and, and I want I want to have conversations that aren't intentional. I want to be able to have a conversation with some with somebody that is not about you and I agreed to be at this point at this exact same time and discuss this thing. <laughs> I want it to be about I want hey, a watering we were, hole. I want a watering hole. Yeah, I want it to be about we were hanging out, and that, and you know, and that's. That's the practice thing. That, that's yeah. what we're that's what we're talking about. Is these little moments don't happen don't happen normally. Yep, I I agree. Uh, all right, you want to get to uh, let, let's how about this? Let's before we get to ratings and recommendations, let's give let's, away something. Let's give away some free money, some free stuff. And we asked you guys to send us examples at four forty sports hashtag talk about because people in the media say the word and use the phrase talk about way too often while asking questions. Coach, talk about your defense. Yes. Press conferences, radio Talk about your mindset. It's awful. It's atrocious. It drives me nuts. I hear it all the time. I hear it on major national platforms, and it drives me insane. So we asked you guys to send us as many examples as you could find. And the first person who sent us in an example was the best one of the group. We had kind of a tie, and so we decided to break the tie on our own because it's our show. And so the $100 gift card to Four Top Hospitality, which is a great host of restaurants in Nashville, Jasper's, Etch, Char, uh, etc. cetera, um, Amerigo, just a great company, really good food, good chefs, all that good stuff. Brandon Chrisman on Twitter sent in, there we go, sent in, and he basically said, this is my favorite talk about of all time. And it was the Urban Meyer press conference after winning the national championship, or no, after beating Alabama, I believe in 2014. I think Oregon won by 40 today. Can you talk about Oregon won by 40? What was the 59 to 20? Oh, 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 I got to go. We got to go get ready for that one. 
just <laughs> thought, thoughts on how to slow. Florida State had five <laughs> second half turnovers. I it's just so such a bad question. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. So Brandon Chrisman is the is the point here. Hundred dollar gift card. Tweet me. Tweet us at four forty sports, and we'll get your information, and we'll make sure we meet up and give you that great gift card. And uh, go get yourself some good food, man. Uh, over at Jasper's, it's tremendous. All those great places. So. Uh, now that we've got that out of the way, congratulations to Brandon. I know it's one of the crowning achievements of your life, uh, but we do appreciate you listening to the show. <laughs> All right, ratings and recommendations. I'm going to get mine out of the way real quickly here. Let's do let's do recommendations first, and then we'll get to ratings. I, I want to get mine out of the way here because it, it's sort of a I'm I'm double dipping, but I finished something, so I thought you'd appreciate this. You finished Cobra Kai? <laughs> no, not yet. So I recommended very 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 early on in this show uh, a book about a restaurant in Nashville written by a sports writer, but it's not a sports book. So I know you know where I'm going with this. I had just started it, and I like recommending books right, right after starting them because I read like six books at a time, and so it takes me a long time to finish them. But Road to Raqqa, written by local reporter for The Ringer, uh, Jordan Ritter Khan. And I, I just think it's a brilliant story. I finished it up and powered through and it is a brilliant story about so many different things, culture, food, family, uh, wartime, immigration, travel, seeking out who you are. And it ends up in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And it is a, a excellent book, beautifully written. And I cannot recommend it enough. If you didn't get it the first time, The Road from Raqqa, it's about Cafe Raqqa up in Hendersonville, which is a Syrian restaurant with it, he takes you through the process of how he learned how to make hummus back in Syria. Like it's just exceptional. And um, I powered through like the last three quarters of it, like in four days and it is exceptional. So go if read. You've, if you haven't made a trip up to Hendersonville, you should definitely get up to uh, uh, up to the restaurant. It, it's, it's really, really good. Um, I, I, I like the book. I thought it was, Great. I was in the bag for it anyway. I, I like Jordan a lot. He's a, he's a really good guy. He's a hell of a writer. If you have, if you're not familiar with the stuff, go, go find, and go you, find some of his stuff and, and make sure you've got a highlighter with you. Cause there are more than a, more than one occasion where I had to put the book down, get up, go grab something and say, no, I want to remember that line. Yeah. Yeah. And, he's, and, he's really, he's, he is really, uh, he's really an exceptional stylist. I, I was, I was skeptical of the book going into it simply because the whole idea of it struck me as here's somebody interesting that I know. And I, I thought it was maybe a story. It wasn't a book. I was wrong. It was fantastic. I mean, it's it was a, it's very, and it's a very smooth read. It's not, it's not super yeah. lengthy or dense. It's a very good book and I recommend it and go buy it. Go, go to a local bookshop and buy it also. Yep. Go, go to the local shop. All right. What you got? So, so my recommendation is, and maybe if somebody tweet at me, uh, I, I opened this up on Twitter the other night. The flight attendant is is out on HBO Max now. It's 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 a show that has it stars Kaylee Cuoco used to be in Big Bang. It's got a really good cast. Uh, specifically, I'm gonna mangle her name. It's Zoisha, Zoisha. I think Mamet. that's. I think that's like Those what you, I think that's what you put on fairways. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> or, or greens maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm, I know I'm getting it wrong. Anyway, as as like her best friend, who and she is actually the best part of this. Like, if you were going to make season two of the flight attendant, you would build it around Mamet's character, who is this kind of like smart ass, ethically challenged mob lawyer who has this kind of reckoning about halfway through the series. She, every scene she's in is fantastic. I can't decide if the flight attendant is good or bad. We watched the end of it and we watched it to the end. There's eight episodes. They're all about like 40, 45 minutes. So it's not a huge commitment, but we got to the end of it and Jen and I looked at each other and we're like, was it good? Or were, are we just completists? Can we, you can't not finish. Can we not finish? It wasn't <laughs> like, it wasn't like we were starting a, a, like a 10 season epic of something and we're like, well, no, we do. We don't like it now. And season. it wasn't like we were starting Grey's Anatomy. We're like, well, we're into the end. Right, right. What I want to read is like an in-depth piece on what went wrong in making the show because <laughs> because the because the pieces were all there. It, it's based on a book which was 
you know, which was very well reviewed. It had good people attached to it. Quoco is actually really good in it, but there are some conceits that they use and some, some framing devices that are just odd, say the least. And we got to the end of it. And we're just like, I wanted to like it, but I'm, I don't think I did. Yeah. Uh, my and, wife wants to watch it and I'm going to use your anti-recommendation to get out of watching it. <laughs> To, to claim those eight hours of your well, life well she can watch it we everybody has to have their own shows you know like the crown is on the border for me you know like she wants us to watch the crown together and i'm not you're sure just, i want to you're just wrong about that the no, crown no, I is prob i probably will but there's this other one on netflix that's basically the crown and she was like do you want to watch this one i don't know like bridgestone or bridge i don't know what it is oh bridgerton bridgerton she was like do you want to watch this i was like no i, I may watch you, the crown you, with you want you actually want to watch bridgerton really yeah, you do. All right. I don't have time um, for this. We're, we're, we're in you want to watch The Crown first, but then you want to watch Bridgerton. Anyway. We're in, we're in season three of Peaky Blinders. We just started that like two weeks ago, and we just cannot stop it. So I hear it's great. I, I have not picked Very it up. Very good. Very good. So anyway, if if you have an opinion, at me on Twitter. Uh, I'd, <laughs> I'd love to know. Uh, I'd love to know if I should be liking or hating this show. I think I should hate it. But anyway. So uh, we've got actually two books of ratings here for television just so that you know here, because we did not get to the Ravens-Titans game from, I guess this would have been two weekends ago, 36.7 rating, Bears-Saints 21.1, Colts-Bills 19, Brown-Steelers 18, Rams-Seahawks 17. So Titans-Ravens, a 36.7 playoff rating. Again, that's a basically everybody that cares about football in Nashville watching that. But then you come back this next week, and you remove them and add the college football national championship game. And Alabama, Ohio State pulled a 19.1. That, that finished. Can you guess which two games in the NFL it finished behind, Steve? Um, of, of the, four, the other four slots are, are obviously the NFL playoff games. I'm trying to remember which was the what the Saturday night game was. Saturday So you had, uh, had Packers-Rams was the first one. I believe you had Ravens Bills on Saturday night. Yeah, so it would have finished behind Ravens Bills, and it would have finished behind Bucks Saints Browns Chiefs were the other two. Bucks Saints, half correct, half wrong. Yeah. Number five on the list, Saturday night Ravens Bills, eighteen point three, the lowest rated one. Packers Rams, which was the Saturday afternoon slot, eighteen point five. National Championship game checks in at number three and nineteen point one. Bucks Saints, number two. 23.6 so you got that one right and browns chiefs which was a close game with patrick mahomes getting injured 25.1 yeah the well and and i was i was one of those i was staying into the very end oh yes i was too chad henny baby what'll be interesting is next week we will only have two nfl games that should be fun to keep an eye on and that will allow other things to bubble up into the rankings because the NFL just dominates when it comes to these, <laughs> these numbers. So uh, anything else you'd like to add? I, those are our ratings. Top most, most watched shows, some recommendations, Drake Hills, midday one eighty's gone. You got anything else, Steve? Yeah, I'm, 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 that's pretty much it. All tapped out. Thank you guys for listening. Brandon Chrisman tweet us at four forty sports at S Cavendish at Braden gall tweet us so we can get you your gift card. Congratulations. And maybe go talk about us to all your other people in your life. Tell everybody talk about talk about lamestream his name's steve my name's brayden thank you guys for listening this has been lamestream sports on the 440 sports network thanks guys